over the last number of weeks, uh, Dawson and I have been chatting uh, over uh, just it's some of the vision that, that, that God, he feels like God has been laying on his and Pat's heart uh, for, for small groups uh, within the life of Thornhill. And, and uh, when I was going through the interview process here, Pastor Gary said, we really want you to tackle the, the area of, of small groups here in Thornhill. And, and I think, okay, you know, that's, that's, yeah, I absolutely think that that's a wonderful thing we need to be doing. And, uh, and then the first month or so, I met with Stacy and Janelle, and they said, yeah, we want to start a small group with young adults. And then I met with Austin and Pat and said, yeah, we want to start a small group as well. And I thought, this is easy. And, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I know it's not, but, uh, we're just, but I really believe that God is at work and, uh, and moving in, in this church in the area of small group ministry. And, and I think it's something important that we continue to move, strive towards. But I wanted to ask Dawson to come up because I thought it was important that he shares a little bit about his heart for the small group that he wants to be, him and Pat want to begin to lead. Uh, maybe if you could just describe a little bit about what is this vision that you have for your, your small group here. Sure. Uh, I think I'm on. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, I don't know if you know anybody that sometimes struggles to share about their faith sometimes might struggle to share a story or not. Maybe you don't know anybody like that. I do. <laughs> I'm standing right here. Um, you know, one of the things is, is that uh, oral, so speaking, is not always the easiest thing to do, like stories and things like that. Um, now, what we want to do is a, a, a kind of a different take on, on, a, on a group where uh, we're going to be studying the Bible, but orally studying it. Um, so what that means is, for those of us who are highly literate, like myself uh, and many of you, that's scary, but it can be done. Um, and in fact, 75% of the Bible is narrative. So there's, there's one thing. The other thing is 80% of the people in the world uh, are we'll learn things better orally. And as I, as I look at, um, you know, the media and stuff like that now, you know, people in, in younger generations now aren't pulling out books and things as much as, you know, my generation necessarily would have. And uh, so that's, so the focus is on learning how to learn Bible uh, and, and walking through that slowly together in an, in an environment that is safe um, where we're learning uh, Bible stories um, and a prayerful environment uh, where we're going to pray for each other and care for each other and pray as we learn these stories. But then also, we don't want to just learn these stories just for the sake of learning them, but also to share that. I mean, you know, we've got lots of good news. And as that good news becomes more and more internal inside ourselves, then uh, we want to see that also uh, shared out as well. And that's where the, you know, where we need to be in a safe environment to practice and stuff. Like, you know, if you think about it, when kids are growing up, like learning how to walk is not an easy thing to learn how to do. We all do it well and, and you know, we've been doing it for years, but little guys when they're starting and little gals, when they're starting to learn how to walk, they're like tumbling and falling and whatnot. Well, you know, in some ways, when if we're learning how to share stories orally, we're going to be tumbling around a bit too. And so that's where the safe environment comes in, I guess. Cool. Um, so, you know, the main components are prayer. That's a big component. 
um, learning how to, how to learn Bible stories, how to learn ask, how to learn how to ask spiritually relevant questions that just kind of dig right in, and then how to actually, you know, begin to ask and answer uh, questions of, of uh, application, spiritual application. Like, great, I'm reading this story, I'm learning this story from 2,000 years ago, but how does it apply to me now and today? And as we find that applying in our own lives, we also, our ears are sensitive as we're praying, you know, for those of, that we rub shoulders with, you know, and wow, I just learned a story the other day that it's almost exactly like what you're talking about. Do you mind if I share that with you? You know, and, and uh, that kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. great. And, and so want to just pull out a little bit, extract oh, a little sure. bit more here, but, but you, you had said that there's some of the key implements of, the, of your small group. Um, I would imagine that, that this is a little bit different from just a Bible study because you're not going to be sitting from on, your, you know, on your mantle saying this is how we do it, but it's going to be more collaborative, correct? Yeah, we're going to be learning together. Yeah. You know, I, I'm no expert at this and neither is Pat. You know, I, uh, I did get a chance to... What, what, what got me excited about this was I got a chance to... Uh, when I was in Thailand, I had a chance to go through a workshop and I, I discovered wow, I could actually learn how to say a Bible story and to, and to share a Bible story. And without, without the Bible right in front of me, without a bunch of notes all over the place, but actually just so it becomes natural and it becomes ingrained in us, it cool. becomes part of us. Yeah. Oh, you know, and the other thing, I forgot to mention this, but because, like, I mean, this is just all part of it. I was just thinking about the oral side of things, but, but also... Um, you know, uh, another aspect is, like, we're going to kick it off with, with some food, like potluck, and I don't know anybody who doesn't like food, right? So that's what we're going to kick it off with. And so from time to time, we'll be doing that too. Maybe not every time, but yeah, from time to time. So in terms of when you were, wanting, wanting, when you were hoping to start this, what are you thinking in terms of timeline? Oh, okay, so basically we're looking at, uh, what was it? The I'm going to have to look at notes because uh, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my mind these days. Ah, it was right. Okay, <laughs> good. Uh, first and third Thursday of uh, every, every month, um, and roughly from seven to nine. But this, the first one, when we're going to do the very first yes. one? or just the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay, very first one is going to be on the 18th at Pat and Dawson's house, or Dawson and Pat's house. I, there may be details in the bulletin. Should um, be. We can give all that. Uh, we'll probably be standing out, what, in the foyer or something, Pat? Yeah, after the service. If Yeah, but oh, that's it by the pictures over there. Yeah, well, that's Pat over there. So 6.30, Thursday the 18th at Pat and Dawson's house. It's going to be a potluck. What that means is it's not Pat and Dawson making food for everybody. It is, you know, we need to kind of cooperate and bring things too, right? So everybody's bringing something. But yeah, we'll definitely bring, you know, we'll obviously have some stuff there. Uh, I don't know what that, you nailed anything it. else you wanted that's, to... I think that's good. If okay. you, if, but if you have questions, though, uh, like they said, they're going to be in the foyer just hanging out there and, and happy to answer any, any of uh, your questions. And, um, yeah, I certainly would encourage you to be a part of that and, and to, um, to consider that as, as moving forward as part of your, uh, your own personal discipleship journey. So, Sorry, I did have yeah. one other uh, You one just other go thought. right ahead. I'll just go um, sit down. Just one other thought. <laughs> 
No, no. Seriously, though, I, I think this needs to be emphasized because this is one of the areas where it might be slightly different than what you might... You know, like Pat and I, we don't look all that young, and you might be thinking, oh, okay, so like you've got to be 50 to join this or something or whatever. No, 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 no. In fact, to be honest, an idea that we have is, hey, families could come, like with children and that, because you know what? We could learn how to learn stories from children, because they haven't been kind of... Well, educators, just close your ears for a minute. They haven't been kind of messed up with with uh, learning how to read and stuff, you know, like they, they know how to tell a story, right? So, but we need to relearn that and we can all learn how to tell stories, but, but some of us might be, you know, so we could learn from the kids. In fact, they'd probably be faster than the rest of sure. us to do it. Anyway, cool. I thought I'd put a plug in for that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't have this idea that, okay, you're all like 50 and plus and all that, sure. you know. Yeah, that, that's great. Does that make sense? I'll take that from you. Yeah, we'll turn it off. <laughs> Thank great. you, Dawson. Before, uh, before we jump into this message, I just want to say real quick, I just am thankful for Pat and for Dawson sharing their heart this morning uh, and, and taking the initiative to, to start this small group. I'm really excited about uh, where, where God's going to lead that ministry. And uh, certainly if, if any of you are considering, uh, have been considering the idea of small group ministry or would like to start a small group yourself, uh, we would, I would love to have that conversation with you and, and would love to be able to begin to, to get the snowball rolling, as it were. Uh, are we okay? I shouldn't wander around too much. Um, and, uh, if you're, but if you're interested in starting a small group, we would love it if, if you come chat with me after or even in the next weeks to come and we can get small groups, some other small groups developed within the, the, the city of Calgary here. Well, this morning as we... As we celebrate Thanksgiving weekend, I think that for, for many of us, we can, we can look at our lives, and Pastor Gary has led us in a little exercise to, to write down the things that we are thankful for, and, and for many of us, we can identify what some of those things are, and we, and we know that while our lives maybe are not perfect, we can still say, yeah, you know what, I can be thankful for that. I am grateful for those things. Well, on the other side of the coin, though, for many of us, too, is that, is that in our times, there's times in our lives where we are dealt with such a blow that this idea of gratitude just seems like a foreign concept. For some of you, maybe you're going through times at work where your boss is just so miserable that you just, the idea of gratitude just seems really difficult. Or maybe you just wish that you were employed, that you had a boss, and that you've been going through this season of unemployment and it's just been really, really discouraging for you. Maybe you're a student and you just feel up to your eyebrows in, in anxiety and stress because of all the expectations of the academic world. Or maybe you had a visit with the doctor and he's shared the news that you are absolutely fearing and dreading. And at times, these, our circumstances just seem to rob us of thankfulness and gratitude. I think that the, the truth is, is that at one point or another, in our lives, we will encounter seasons where, where we can see the potential of, of what once was, but the current reality just seems like a shadow of, of that. For the disciples who Jesus is addressing in chapter 20 of, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's, there's something important that I think is happening here that is prompting Jesus to begin to share this parable. It starts in chapter 19. Verse 1, it says, Jesus and the disciples departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. 
This is important here as we, as we, in order for us to understand what I think is happening uh, in, in Jesus' response to his disciples. The, you see, the place that they were leaving was Galilee. Now, this may just seem like a regular place for many people, but for Peter, this was home. This was Peter's, this is where he grew up. He grew up spending his childhood on the Sea of Galilee, fishing with his dad. This is where his parents and his friends lived. This, for Peter, was, was where it all began. This is where Jesus invited him on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And over the next couple of years, Jesus and the disciples traveled throughout Israel. But in this particular journey, they find themselves approaching Galilee and, and find themselves back at the beginning for Peter. Now imagine, as a young man, late teenager, early 20s, the excitement he probably felt as he, as he entered his house, the house that he grew up in, and he saw his parents again for the first time in, in months, maybe a year or two, and smelling the smells of his childhood. Maybe he saw, as he entered the house, he saw his old boat, the one that he used to ride on. And he remembered all the memories came flashing back of the time that he spent on the sea just a few short years earlier. And he spends that time in Galilee and he connects with his family and catches up. But then Jesus says, okay guys, we got to go. And Peter has to say goodbye to it all again. And I imagine that as a young man, that there was probably a slight twinge in his heart as he realized that he had to say goodbye to all the things that he loved again. Probably feeling this sense of homesickness that any adolescent might have with their parents and their home. And Peter was left with this tension of being grateful to be a disciple of Jesus, but also knowing that he gave up a lot to do it. And so as Jesus and the disciples are making their way from Galilee to Judea, Peter asks this question. We left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And I think Jesus, he's pretty wise, I think. Jesus says, he stops to address this pondering. This, he could see, see the, something, the wheels were turning in Peter's mind. And he stops to address this question with Peter. He says, all right, boys, have a seat. We're going to chat for a minute. I need to talk to you about some of the things that, about what it means to follow me. Now, as they worked their way from Galilee to Jerusalem, which is where they were going, they were in the, the, the state of Judea. One of the primary industries in that, in that area, certainly west of Jerusalem, was, was the wine industry, vineyards. And as they walked along the road, they would have seen acres and acres of, of vineyards. Grapes all over, lining their paths as they walk their way to Jerusalem. And as Jesus sits down with his disciples, it would have made a really natural illustration as he cares for Peter and the other disciples who might be struggling with this question. What then will there be for us? So as Jesus sits down with his disciples, he looks over the landscape of the vineyards, and he begins to set the scene for the disciples in verses 1 through 7 of Matthew 20. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. 
Now, typically around harvest time, September, early October, landowners who, who own vineyards, they would, they, would leave their, they would leave their vineyards and they would go down to the local city and they would go to the town plaza and, and the towns, and, or the town square and they would gather there and, and they would wait for all the, the, the unemployed men to show up. And all these men would come and the, the landowners would say, okay, I'm going to hire you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Okay, you guys come with me. And he would hire them for the day. And he went, and the agreed upon minimum wage at that point was a denarius. So he takes them back to his vineyard. And they start working. Now the, the agreed upon timeline, the typical timeline for work was about 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sunrise to sundown. That was the norm. It was, this was the ideal time for, if you were going to get hired, this was the ideal time to get hired. You didn't have to work in the heat of the sun the entire day. You could work from 6 to 9-ish in the morning, and, and, there would, and there would be some reprieve from the heat. It would be a little bit cooler. And then in the afternoon, as the sun was setting, maybe from 4 to 6, it would be a little bit cooler as well. So this would be the ideal time to get hired so that you, you could at least enjoy some, some coolness. It also, for the workers, it guaranteed them a, a day's salary. But then something happens. Typically at that point for a landowner, if he, he's, he's invited these, these, these laborers to come and work in his field, the landowner's job is now done. Except this landowner. He brings them back to his vineyard and says, okay, this is the area that I want you guys to pick grapes. But then he goes back to the plaza and he goes and finds some more and says, okay, there's still some more men here. Okay, I'll hire you and you, you, and you, and you. Okay, you guys come with me. Nine o'clock in the afternoon, nine o'clock in the morning now. And he takes them back to his vineyard again. Agreed upon, rate, agreed upon wage. And then he goes back again. Another time. This time at noon. Picks up some more. Brings them back to his his vineyard, and then, and then he goes back again for a, for a fourth time. This time it's three in the afternoon. There's only three hours of work left, yet the vineyard owner goes back again to find some more workers. Now, if Jesus had finished this story right here, Peter would be left to conclude by what Jesus is saying here, that finally thinking, yes, this is what, I understand what you're saying now, Jesus, that all the sacrifices that I've made, have, well, I know they'll be, paid, they'll be paid back. It'll be worth it. I will get what I deserve. And everything will work out according to the way that I think it should. That he would have, that he would have earned his payment. And so nothing really seems out of the ordinary as Jesus begin, starts his story. have to say that this would have been a pretty typical understanding of what the kingdom of God was like too for most Judaic circles. You get what you put in. You earned whatever you get. But then we get to the 11th hour. Five in the afternoon. One hour before our work is supposed to be done. And the landowner goes out one last time to get some more laborers. Oh, there's still some more there. Okay, you, 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 and you. So why does he do that? Is he that desperate for workers that he's looking for all the help he needs? I don't think so. 
I think that if you're a farmer, you, you know how many workers you need and you take as many as you can at the beginning of the day. If he was that desperate to get the, the grapes pulled, he would have hired them all at the beginning. But he doesn't. Just like Jesus, the landowner understands his purpose, which is to invite as many people as he can into the vineyard. So the landowner spends the entire day inviting more and more and more and more people to come into his vineyard. And I think by this point, the wheels are beginning to spin for Peter. And he's beginning to think, okay, something's different about this story. A, land, a landowner doesn't go back this many times to, to, to invite people to the vineyard. Something's different about the story that Jesus is sharing. And he's beginning to get a glimpse into the point that Jesus is making about the kingdom of heaven and that it's inviting. Though regardless of whether the landowner needs the workers or not, he sought them out. He invited them to come. There isn't one person who we see in this parable who is excluded from the vineyard. The landowner is intentionally tracking down the people, going back repeatedly to invite more people into the harvest. As Jesus is sharing, he's, he's shifting the understanding of the kingdom of heaven on its head and, and suggesting that, land, that latecomers are not disqualified from the kingdom because they didn't accept the invitation sooner. And I think J Jesus is gently beginning to communicate to Peter and the disciples something very profound. It's a hard truth sometimes. He says, guys, no one's forcing you to be here. I've invited you to follow me. I hope you'll come, but I'm not forcing you to be here. It's a hard, hard love right there. And regardless of whether we are invited in the first hour or the 11th, Jesus invites us to follow him. And so these laborers who are hired in the last hour, these guys represent the tax collectors, the, the liars, the broken, the least of these. And Jesus simply says, come. You can come to the vineyard too. So why would he do that? Clearly, these guys, these, these guys that hired at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, these guys at the 11th hour, they are, they're not the greatest hires for what the landowner is needing. They lack ambition. They lack a willingness to work hard. And yet the landowner invites them to a vineyard to work. Well, Peter Marshall, a former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, he, he wrote a small poem that I think captures the heart of the point Jesus is trying to make here with the, the landowner says, we have the nicest garbage man. He empties out our garbage can. He's just as nice as he can be. He always stops and talks to me. My mother doesn't like his smell, but mother doesn't know him well. I think that's how God sees me. Even though he knows I smell, he knows my faults, he knows my shortcomings, he knows my failures, he knows where I lack, and he says, we aren't disqualified. Instead, like the landlord, Jesus says, come. But the story isn't finished here. According to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, verse 15, every worker needs to be paid. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. So the workers were invited into the vineyard for work. 
But the expectation, the agreed upon expectation up to this point is that everyone would receive fair payment. So the landlord tasks the foreman with paying these men. Can you, I, I just imagine the foreman in this situation and he's thinking, why did he hire all these guys? We don't need them all here. He should, he should just, he hired enough at six we, and then he kept going back and hiring more and more and more. He overhired and now we have to pay these guys. Foreman's probably thinking, I just wish he'd let me do the hiring. This is not good business. But God's kingdom isn't about what's efficient or economical. And Jesus proves that when the landlord tells the foreman to pay the men. And the landlord hands a small bag to the foreman and says, I want you to pay these men. And he looks inside and sees a denarius coin, and that's all he sees is lots of denarius. And the foreman's probably thinking, he's not going to break change. Like these, what, what am I going to do? And the landowner says, pay them a denarius each. And I imagine the foreman's probably thinking, wait, what? This, this is not good business. I thought we were here to make a profit. And then the landowner in verse 8 instructs the foreman to pay the guys who were hired first. What Jesus is beginning to do here is create this sense of expectation in his story that for Peter, he's, finally, he's likely thinking, finally, I see where Jesus is going with this story. I mean, these, the guys who started at the beginning, they should have got, they, they're going to get 12 times what the, what the guys who, started, who got hired last will get. That's what I'm going to get. And so Jesus is beginning to set this expectation. And Peter's probably thinking, well, it would make sense for these guys who got hired first at six, of the, six in the morning, at the beginning of the day, that they would get, hired, they would get paid more. That's what would be fair. That's what would, would be just. That's what would be right. And it's at this point in the story that Jesus really flips the understanding of God's kingdom on its head. And he gently reminds Peter that the kingdom of heaven isn't based on the world's standards. It isn't just from an, it, it isn't just from an economical perspective. It isn't right from a business model. That's what makes grace so shocking. Jesus reminds Peter that the incredible thing about grace is that it has nothing to do with what's fair. Grace only seems unfair when we aren't aware of God's goodness and we think we deserve more than what we've been given. And this is, where, what, we, this is what we find Peter struggling with. And Jesus reveals to us that God's goodness always knows what's right, even when it may not seem like it from our perspective. And so these men were upset because they had built up this expectation that they should receive more because others received the same as them. Whether it was the, the, the guys who were hired at six in the morning or the disciples, they had that same mentality. So the issue for the laborers was that they were treated as equals to the people who were hired in the 11th hour. These workers who, believe, who worked all day believed that they deserved more because of something they had, that they did that others hadn't done. And in the economy of the world, they should expect that. They should feel justified in their sense of entitlement. And the word that Jesus uses in his story in verse 11, it says, they grumbled at the landowner. And the Greek word here is ganguzo. Ganguzo. Which means that they discontently complained with each other. You know what I'm talking about. 
You know when you go to those, you go to those meetings and someone announces that they've made a decision that you don't agree with and that others don't agree with and people get together at the post-meeting meeting? Can you believe that guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. What an idiot. Unbelievable. We should strike. And we complain in our frustration about a decision that was made. And the grumbling from the land, the land where, or the, the, grumbling, the grumbling from the, from the laborers was met with an interesting response from the landowner. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is, it, or is your eye envious because I'm generous? There's two things I want to highlight in that response. First thing is that the landowner calls each of them friend. Now that word friend is only used three times in the Gospel of Matthew. Every time that it's used, it's being referred to, it's being spoken to somebody who's in the wrong. Most critically, I think, is Matthew 26, verse 50. When Jesus says, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. The landowner responds to the anger, the disappointment, the frustration, the accusations, the ganguzo, and he calls us friend. In those times that I have grumbled, grumbled towards God, Jesus does the same thing. This statement, friend, is, a, is this gentle rebuke causing the laborers to reflect on the state of their own heart. And then, you can, and then the second point I want to pull out here in his response is this question, is your eye envious because I am generous? Basically the question when translated is, is your eye evil? This, is a, this was a common Jewish idiom at the time that basically was asking the question to, to look at, inspect your heart. The Greek word that's used here for, for uh, envious or jealous is the, the Greek word is paneros. And we see this word used throughout the New Testament. It's the word to describe the heart of an evil person. The landowner understood that the laborers couldn't see past their own hearts to see the goodness and generosity of the landowner on full display because of the lands of their own jealous, evil hearts. But yet in his goodness and love, the landowner, and he calls out a reactionately, but truthfully to them. And he calls out a reality beyond their own that is rooted in gratitude for God's goodness alive and active around them and in them. In the economy of God's grace, grace can't be calculated like, calculated like a day's wage. Grace isn't about who started first or who finished last. Grace is actually not even about counting. We receive grace as a gift from God, not as something we work to earn. God's economy of grace is beyond our understanding, and it cannot be fully fathomed. So what is God's reality for us? What is fair? Well, Romans 3.23 says what's fair. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That, we, want, we want to talk about fair, Peter. That's what we deserve. Yet instead of death, Jesus calls us friend and invites us to know and to follow him. 
And Jesus reveals to us that God invites us into the kingdom regardless of all the barriers that we think prevent us from knowing and following him. And this word friend expresses a deep longing that all of us have that none of us can earn. Peter was stuck in this mentality that he thought he deserved more blessing, that he could earn more salvation, that he deserved more love. And Jesus sees us in our sin and our selfishness, our paneros, and lovingly, compassionately invites you and I to follow him and experience his kingdom. You see, our theological understanding of our own sin, the paneros, the evil in our hearts, and our understanding of God's holiness helps shape our ability to be thankful. We call that worship. Everything we have is the result of God's generous grace. Everything we don't have is also the result of God's generous grace. It's not fair. We deserve a a fate much worse. But instead, Jesus, through his grace, fills the gap of what is fair and gives gives us something that isn't fair because he is generous and loves you and I. When we filter our expectations through the reality that God is ultimately good and right, it shifts our assumptions that God owes us something because we said yes to following him to a heart of thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, Jesus is enough. When we, fully, when we fully understand that grace is offered freely to us, unearned, unmerited, undeserved, we discover the crux of this parable and the gospel itself, that Jesus is enough. God is inviting you to be a part of his kingdom. He doesn't force any of us. We simply have the opportunity to say yes. We don't deserve that invitation, but Jesus offers it to us anyways. It's not fair, but that's grace. God's gracious invitation reflects his generous love that he has for each of us. Jesus is enough. Do we believe that this morning? Jesus is enough. Real quick here, we're going to be receiving our second offering as as part of our Thanksgiving offering. For those of you that don't know uh, why we're doing this, this is moving towards our, this offering will go towards our benevolence needs for the next year. Uh, we have, since I've been here, we've had a number of people who have come in and, and to the church, who are in the church or not, and have expressed a need in various ways. And this is an opportunity for us to be able to meet some very practical needs for people who come into the church. Uh, it also will cover some of the expenses from the 50th anniversary we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the other things that I'm excited about is that this offering is also going to go towards uh, some of the different ministry programs and opportunities that we might have over this next year to, to minister to different community uh, opportunities here within, within Thorn, Thornhill and, and area. And uh, I'm excited about where, what, what God is going to do with this offering over the next, next year. I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we will uh, receive our offering. And I think there's one last worship song after that as well. So let me pray.